I want to talk to you a little bit about doctrine today. People are going to say, doctrine, that's like one of those yucky words that I don't want to hear about. No, no, you don't say that, I know. But I want to talk about doctrine today um, with you. Can I do that? Because um, it says in the book of Acts that actually the early church centered themselves around the apostles' doctrine. And the early church, I'm going to share what the early church was like later and how the early church moved in such power um, because they knew and understood the doctrines of the apostles. And we've got a doctrine, and doctrine means like teaching or truthful teaching. So that's what kind of it means. So maybe if you take and look, think of it that way, doctrine. Oh, so Father God, we just ask, Lord, that you just teach us these things because this is important. And we ask that your Holy Spirit help and make it simple and that we receive it in the name of Jesus. So doctrine, I've got a book, actually, that I, that I used to teach from called Christian Doctrine. And I just want to share a few verses out of it. I don't want to get into any real detail. But again, doctrine just is, means truth. Um, matter of fact, it's Acts uh, 2.42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. And then it goes on to say why they were moving and all the great stuff. Um, doctrine really comes from rightly dividing the truth or, or our understanding the truth of the Bible. So it is important. It's an important word, even though, um, you know, we, you can call it truth um, from God or whatever you want to call it. But So understanding doctrine, I'm going to read a few verses. Um, and so it was with Jesus. Um, he had ended these sayings, and the people were astonished by his doctrine. And in some verses it says by his teaching. Um, Take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for by doing this you will both save yourself and those that will hear you. So again, the doctrine. The word doctrine. Here's what's happening in the last days about doctrine. It says in 2 Timothy 4.3, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they had itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers that they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned on to fables. So in the last days, what's happening is the body has been asking or hearing what they want to hear, not this body, the false body, and they are falling away and they're listening to fables and they're not doing the things they should. So one of the things I'm hearing all the time, which is a fable or which is a falsehood, is that the church isn't relevant today or, or the body of the church. I can go worship God on my own, that the church is not, you know, in these last days, something that, that God instituted. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that there's over 100 verses in the New Testament about church and about the church and what it is. So I just want to share um, a, a couple of these. Um, before I do, I'm going to just read all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped to every good work. Amen. Okay, the church. What is the church? Why did God institute the church? Um, the church means... Uh, the called out ones are the ones who've been called out from the world. Basically, those who have been born again have become members of a church. The church is called the body of Christ all through the Bible also. So even though the church is named a hundred times, when you see the body of Christ, often through the New Testament, you can add that to 
what the church is. It's also called not only the body of Christ, but the church is called the field of God. It's called the army of God. It's called the temple of God. It's called the flock of God. I've got a few of the words written down here. It's called the um, bride of Christ. When you see the bride of Christ, that is a picture of the church. And a lot of people want to individualize us, which is okay. You can somewhat. But the church is a corporate body. Okay? That's what how it's given to us throughout all the scripture. It says the church is God's possession. That's in Ephesians 1. Um, that it was purchased not with gold and silver, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's in Acts. And you are not your own, but you've been bought with a price. So the church is a corporate body. And here's the purpose and mission of why God created the church. It's to evangelize the nations or bring them to Christ and to make disciples. That's the total mission of the church. Those two things. And that's in the commission, the great commission. If you read the great commission, you'll know and understand that. So these are simple things that we should know and understand as a body. So I want you to know and understand that the body of Christ is very important to God. And the doctrine of the church is very important to God. And the church is not going away during the New Testament. The church is not going away until Jesus Christ comes. But the church is actually then going to live forever and ever as the bride of Christ. So it's a corporate entity. Pastor Denny's part of a corporate entity called the church. Steve is part of a corporate entity called the church. Okay, y'all getting this? Because I want to set this up for us because we're going to take communion today. And here's what was happening um, in the church of Corinth. They didn't understand that. So Paul had to teach them again about this. And what was happening to them is that many became weak, many became sickly, and many died early because they didn't discern the Lord's body. They didn't discern what the body of Christ was about. They didn't discern what the Lord's body was. And so I'm going to read that section of scripture to you so that you'll see it. And then actually we'll kind of spend some time in the, in the scriptures. I'm going to read a lot of scriptures, but I want you to see this. So here they're talking about the Lord's table. They come together in communion. Communion is a representation. There's two ordinances, ordinances that God left with us or Jesus left with us for the church. One is water baptism. The other one is to have communion. And in communion, what he's saying that's happening is I want you to know and understand that you are in communion with me. You're in communion with God. You are one body with me. You corporately are one body. You are my bride. And when you do this, you, will re you are actually doing it in remembrance of me. So um, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 through uh, 30. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. There's, there was those words. And then look at what happens in verse 30. For this reason, many. So actually, the sins of some, and I'll show you that, actually affect many. But anyway, we'll go, go on here for, in verse 30. For this reason, many, many who? Many in the church. Many are weak. 
What does weak mean? It means you don't have power, right? You don't have the power to get stuff done. Why is the church weak? Many are weak and sick. Many are sickly. And many sleep. That word there is actually in many of the different versions is many die early before their time. Many are sick. Many are weak. The church is in this state. Why? Because they weren't discerning the Lord's body. They weren't understanding what a church was. They didn't understand what they were in the church. You guys got to get this and understand this. You're part of something bigger than yourself. Every single one of you have a special part of DNA from God that is so unique that it will never ever be represented on the earth or in the eternity again. Every one of you are part of something bigger than yourself. You have been bought with a price, the blood of Christ, and you are owned by him now, and you've been put into something called the body of Christ. And when you're not operating in the body of Christ, the body of Christ is hurting. Um, actually, Jason had a word that he's not here. Hopefully, he'll bring it to the next service. That he's gonna, He said someone is going to rise up out of a wheelchair. Well, here's what's happening. The church is in a wheelchair because it's a paraplegic, and Pastor Brenda has mentioned this before. A paraplegic church because members of the body are not operating in the church. They're off doing their own thing. And because you're not operating and bringing your gift into the church, that part isn't operating properly in the church. And because you're not operating in your gift, it hurts the whole church, and many members of the church then become weak and sickly and are dying early because if the foot isn't going to operate, the whole body can't operate properly. If my stomach isn't properly working and digesting food, I'm not going to last long. If my eyes aren't working, I am now blind. How is my body operating properly? So let's see what the... Again, the scripture says about this. I'm going to read out of the message Bible, and I'm going to read the chapter that's next. Because after he says, hey, many are weak and sickly, and many are dying early, um, Paul isn't done. He goes into chapter 12, and he begins to talk about why we have gifts, why we have individual parts of the body, and how that operates together. And then Pastor Brenda shared with you chapter 13, which is the next chapter of Corinthians, which is a chapter of love. Because at the end of chapter 12, after you get and understand and know that you're part of a whole, here's how it operates. It operates in love. See, this is... Chapter and verses, actually, we put this together, but this is a whole story of how you are part of something bigger than yourself. And when you're not operating properly in that whole, it affects the whole, the whole whole, I should say. I don't know if that's a word or not, or if, I, if that's proper English. But So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 29 from the Message Bible. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but... They all originate in God's spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they originate in God's spirit. Again, same, almost the same thing. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. So each one of you are given something to do to show who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. Wise counsel, clear understanding, simple trust, healing the sick, miraculous signs, pro proclaiming, distinguishing, um, or proclamations distinguishing between spirits, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of interpretation of tongues. 
All these gifts have a common origin, but are handed out one by one by the Spirit of God. He decides who gets what and when. When you can ease, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still what? You're still one body, right? It's exactly the same way with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we, are all set, we all say goodbye to our partial piecemeal lives. I'm going to read that part again. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. Basically, we are to lay down our lives. It's been bought with a price. Our lives aren't individual lives anymore. Our lives are now become connected to the entire body, with he being the head, and a body operating as one and in unity. Amen? Let's go on, and this is where um, it starts getting into a little more detail about this. Um, we each we each used to um, and well, let me read that again. We each used to be used to be independently call. Oh, we used to independently call our own shots. Sorry about that. But when we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything, so we used to call our own shots, right, independently. But now you don't do that because you're now part of a bigger thing the body of Christ. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized, right? When we were baptized, didn't we say, my body, myself, my flesh dies, and I'm dead to myself, and now I've been resurrected in Christ? Each of us now a part of his resurrected body, refreshed and sustained from one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jews or Greeks or slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, um, more comprehensive. I want you to think about all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blowing up into something huge. It's all different but similar parts arranged to function together. The foot said, I'm not elegant like the hand, embellished with rings. I guess I don't belong to the body. Would that make it so? If the ear said, I'm not beautiful like the eye, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the body. Would that make, would you want to remove it from the body? I mean, would you want your ear off because it was saying that stuff? If the body was all an eye, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. The gifts that you've been given and the part of the body that you are taking up was a gift from God to you so that you could function in the body to make the body whole. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is not only because 
of what you are part it's only because of what you're a part of an enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body but it would be a monster right you know, some people say, well, I can do it all alone with God. It's just me and God. There's important times when you have devotion with God. But you were never created in the New Testament. The church was never created to be individualistic. It was never, you were always part of something bigger than yourself. And when you're not functioning in the body, the body is suffering. And, you know, people, I, I this frustrates me, but I was working with somebody and they Wanted to go start their own church. They had the same beliefs as the Assemblies of God and, and some of the other Pentecostal churches in this area. But because they wanted to start their own church, they went off and started their own church here in town a few years back. Well, it fell apart and didn't make it. But because they wanted to lead it, they wanted to do their own thing. They didn't want to be part of the body. They wanted to be their own self. And I wanted people all like me because we're more prophetic. So I want all the prophetic people to come with me and we're all going to go over here. That's like saying, hey, I want all the ears. Come on, everybody who thinks there's an ear, I want you to get on this side because we're going to go start our own church. And then all the eyes, come on over here. And all the eyes, we're going to go start our own church because we're similar. And you know what? We want everything to be like similar in our church. God made beautiful diversity so that he could bring that diversity into unity to make one beautiful body. Diversity is a good thing. Look what's happening in our nation with diversity. This nation, especially one political, oh, never mind. There's a political party, basically, that's trying to take our diversity and cause us to hate each other for it. Diversity is beautiful. Because God is diverse. And each diverse person has a special part of God that, when it's not operating, I suffer. You suffer. God's beautiful diversity is in each one of us. And when we're not functioning as part of the body, the body is suffering. Now I've totally lost my place, but what we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and proper place. No part is important in its own. Um, can you imagine, again, an eye telling a hand, get lost, I don't need you, or a head telling a foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out? As a matter of fact, in practice, it would be the other way, the lower parts of the body more basic, therefore necessary. Um, for instance, um, if we don't have a good um, nursery back there and there's new people coming in with children, it doesn't matter how great the word is, how great the worship is. You know, or if we don't have greeters out there that are loving on people when they walk in, the because it's within the first couple minutes they get their first impressions of a church. It doesn't matter what happens after that. So different body parts are just important as, as the person up here given the word. That's what that is saying. Can you live without an eye, for instance, or without a stomach? No. When it's part of your own body, um, you are concerned with, uh, it makes no difference whether part is visible or clothed or higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is, without comparison. If anything, you have more concern with the lower parts than the higher. Man, if my stub my toe, oh man, my whole body, right now I'm suffering and I'm not suffering I got prayed for, but I like I was having this drainage this morning and it was like affecting my throat and my voice wasn't working because I had drainage going into my throat and my throat wasn't working and I wasn't able to speak and I had to come up here and speak to you all. But one part of my body, because it was affecting the other part of my body, was making it to the point where I probably, you know, but anyway, I got prayed for and I got healed. If anything, uh, you have more concern in the lower parts of 
than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion and a full-bodied hair? Amen. <laughs> That's in the message. I don't know. That's, I thought that was pretty cool. That's why I chose the message. No. Um, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part depended on every other part. And the parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into that exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. Let me read that again. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part really mean anything. Because actually what you're doing is you're coming in under the designer and how he designed you into the body of Christ, which he designed, and you're operating now in the gifts and the callings that he actually designed you for. That's why it says it that way. That's why your part really isn't operating properly until you're there. You're familiar with some of the parts that God has formed in his church, which is his body, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, um, so those who serve, those who pray, those who pray in tongues, and it goes on. But it's obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body, not at a gigantic, one-dimensional part. Does that all make sense to you? See, when they weren't discerning the Lord's body, it brought hurt to the body because the body wasn't operating as one. They weren't discerning that and understanding that. You know what happened in uh, Joshua chapter 7? Joshua chapter 7, because it says, in, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just before um, 11, where we're going to read about the communion, it says, all these things happened to Israel or to them so that it would be an example to us so that we would understand how, because again, there's a chapter and verse, so it, it's all leading to, so we'd understand the body. In Jericho, God told them everything in Jericho needs to be destroyed but the gold and silver. When the gold and silver is mine, I want you to bring that into the storehouse so nobody gets any of that. None, none of the body gets any of that. None of the, your people get any of that. But we know the story what happened. Achan, one person, took from the gold and silver himself and hid it. Now when God said, I was angry with you, Israel, he didn't say he was angry with Achan. He said, I was angry with you, Israel. And because of that one sin of one person, they went to the next town, Ai. And by the way, in Jericho, not one Israelite died. Not one died in that battle. Not one. God fought the battle for them. The walls fell down and not one died. They go to Achan. I'm sorry, they go to Ai, the next city, to fight. 36 of them are killed and they're turned tail and running. Why? Because the whole body suffered because of the sin of one person. When you are not doing your part in the body, 
the whole body suffers because of your sin or because of you not being part of the body. These are examples for us so that we know and understand and discern the Lord's body. Of course, they found out it was Achan and they dealt with it. And they got it cleaned up and that sin was dealt with and they basically moved on. 36 people, though, wives without husbands, kids without fathers, 36 people died because someone didn't discern what was proper for the whole group to do and did something different and did not, was not connected to what God had said for them to do. The reason why the church is weak and sick and dying early is because they weren't discerning the Lord's body. We got to get to good news, though. <laughs> um, so let's look at these words again. Um, maybe I'll, I'll stop because we're going to have communion here very shortly. But um, let me just share a couple more things here. How many of you have seen the movie The Gladiator? Anybody see that movie The Gladiator? Come on, there's only a, really just a couple of you. Okay, well, anyway, uh, General Maximus um, shouts, "Stay together, act as one!" And what happened is because they did that, there was this great victory. Because they were unified in one, there was this great victory. It's no secret that the most effective military strategy is to divide and conquer. That's what the enemy wants to do with the body of Christ. If he can keep, matter of fact, when the wolves go after a sheep, what do they do? They usually go after the sheep that's separated from the flock. Uh, Jesus says it this way. When he said... Um, let me say, stay together. I don't want to read that thing on Maximus. Um, when the body of Christ has divided its loyalties. Oh, I didn't have the whole verse written out. So basically, when the body of Christ has divided loyalties, it can't stand. What? A body divided against itself or those who are divided against itself, what? Jesus said, can't stand, right? I'm paraphrasing that. But. So when we're divided as a body, do you think that uh, maybe the enemy's kind of like, yeah, all right, I got this one off doing his own thing and this one doing their thing. And by the way, oh, I don't feel like going to church because I want to do this. And I don't feel like being part of the body because I got this. And I don't feel like tithing because you know what? It's not about tithing. It's about if you're not giving your part into the body, the body then is suffering. But the enemy's got us fighting these individual battles and doing these individual things and not walking in a unified body. Um, you know, sports are kind of cool. I like football, and maybe you guys won't get this, but maybe those that know football do. But I was watching a play last year, and um, just a few seconds left, and the team is going down to score, but there's really just a few seconds left. So the quarterback calls a play. The defense calls a play. The defense is going to blitz because the left tackle's been having trouble with this outstanding right end on the defense all the time. So if they can get him one-on-one, -on -one, they almost know that the quarterback's in trouble. So they blitz a, a linebacker. So the, what that means is they got too many guys coming in and not enough guys to block. So they call the pass play for the touchdown, hopefully. So here's what happens. That 
left tackle somehow keeps that right end out because he knows that if he doesn't, the play isn't going to work. And with all his effort, you see that left, that right end coming around and almost grabbing the quarterback's arm, but he doesn't. And then the linebacker that's coming in free with nobody blocking him, this um, running back gets over there somehow just in the very nick of time and puts a block on him just to spin him around so he can't get to the quarterback. Now the um, slot receiver, the one receiver goes across like this, and as the other receiver is going across the field, he kind of sets a pick. Sometimes that's illegal. Sets a pick against the defensive back. So now he gives up his body. He's not part of the play. All of a sudden, this wide receiver is just walking alone, and the quarterback just throws this little poof, boom, touchdown, and everybody, this receiver's all in the end zone. Look at me, yeah, doing his dance, you know what they do. And the quarterback's all, yeah, yeah, and everybody says, wow, what a great pass, and look at what that receiver did. That would have never happened if it wasn't for those other three. Oh, actually, actually, the whole line and the other players doing what they needed to do. So who was the most important part of that play? I would say probably those other people, not the quarterback who can just toss a pass like to somebody who's wide open, not the one who caught it because that's their job to do, but it was the other ones. And that's who we are. We're part of a team with a mission, with a purpose. I um, used to play football, and I kind of, we didn't have a good team, but this one game I played a good game. And I was all proud of myself. And so the coach on the next day of practice after the game was like, oh, Neil played a good game and only, he only named two people. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, walking home with my friends and told my dad as I got home. And he sat me down. He says, how does that affect the whole team? Yeah, you played a good game, but look at how you're, you know, acting. I was all about me because I played a good game. We lost, <laughs> but I played a good game. But the mission was to play as a team and win. And even though I played a good game, the mission wasn't accomplished, was it? Yeah, he kind of got me on that one, my dad. It's like, no, don't be doing that. Let me um, share what the early church looked like and what happens to an early church, and then we'll have communion. What happens when the church is actually unified as a body. And this is the cool part. As we unify as a body, here's some of the things. I've only wrote down a few, but here's some of the things that happen. The church in the book of Acts, consider this, 120 went into a room for 10 days, unified as one. And the church was birthed. God's glory, which includes his power, filled them that very day. Over 3,000 people were born again in one day. Wow. They didn't hand out flyers, advertise in Jewish magazines, employ mass social media strategies, or blitz the airwaves with advertisements. It was all because they were united as one body in Christ. God's greatness was revealed to an entire city. A short time later, Another 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, were born again after a man was born crippled, jumped up, was healed, and ran into the temple. The startling reality with this uh, multitude being converted 
is that Peter and John didn't even have time to give an invitation to salvation. They were arrested before they could. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. What was taking place? They all heard the sound of the mighty rushing wind earlier. The city's residents heard the disciples speaking these wonderful declarations of God's greatness in foreign languages and dialects that they never studied before. Everyone saw notable miracles happening and being done in the name of Jesus. A few days later, they all prayed as a community, and an entire building was actually shaking. And the Bible doesn't exaggerate, so the building actually was shaking. Amen. Talk about getting rocked for God. There was no needy people among the early church. That's in Acts chapter 4, verse 34. There was no one without a need, not one person without a need in the early church because they had things in common, because they did things in unity. The church was actually the ones who gave out, not the state or not the government, to those who were in need. That was, an, again, in Acts chapter 4, verse 34. We see Peter walking the streets, not just a singular street, but streets, and all the six people and all the diseased were laid in these streets just to get within a shadow. And Scripture reports... They were all healed. That's in Acts chapter 5. That's God's greatness. This would be like a believer walking through the halls of a hospital right now and every sick person gets healed. Amen? The scripture also tells us that a man and his wife acted irreverently and lied to the church leaders in one of their services. and Both of them fell over dead. The report of their death spread throughout the entire city and caused great fear to come upon everyone who heard it. But the people esteemed the disciples highly, it says. Here's what happens. Happened. This healthy fear didn't drive people away. Rather, in large numbers, they came to the church. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women, it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, after this happened, Ananias and Sapphira. This wasn't limited to Jerusalem. Followers of Jesus were witnessing boldly, and entire cities were getting saved and healed. Philip, who was called to be a deacon to help wait on tables and do administrative stuff, basically went into the city of Samaria. And um, the word of God says, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. Come on, they got out of those wheelchairs. So that there was great joy in that city. And it says, the entire city either knew about or came to Jesus for salvation. Come on, I'm just going to read a few more of these things of the early church. Another incident um, that Peter instantly uh, healed this paralyzed man who had been bedridden for eight years. The scripture records after this, the whole population of Lydia and Sharon, two whole cities, come on, two whole cities, come to Christ because of this miracle. Beulah, Benzonia, or... Brethren in Calivar or Gron, Interlochen. Come on, because of what's happening at Cornerstone, because the body of Christ is operating in one and doing what God has called them to do. Come on. Isn't that cool? Um, not just one city, but two cities, especially told the whole population was saved. In Joppa, a lady named Tabitha was raised from the dead. The news spread throughout the entire town. Um, so there's another town, total town, is impacted in its entirety. Peter eventually is arrested. But because of unified prayer of the body of Christ, the church, 
An angel, an angel was dispatched to the maximum security prison to break him out in the middle of the night. A ruler by the name of Herod was struck dead and eaten by worms because he didn't give God glory. God's greatness is exposing the darkness in the entire nation. There was no escaping the light. The miracles, great power, individuals saved, and starting to spread to the Gentile communities and to the whole world. In fact, we are told at one point, all who dwelled in Asia. Now, Asia is a big section of that place at that time. All who dwelled in Asia, Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and Greeks. This is not only a few towns or some cities, but an entire region all heard they had no social media, no Facebook, no Instagram, no Twitter. There were no web pages, no satellite communications, no television, no radio. There was no automobiles, no bicycles. Come on. Yet everyone in the entire region heard the word of the Lord. This is what happens when the church becomes one and operates as one. This is when God's word takes preeminence. And we begin to take the giftings that he's given us and put it within the body. This is the divine greatness manifested among the early church as a united body. When we become a united body, we're crying out for revival in this church. And I know that revival is coming. And this is what I saw the picture of. That the book of Acts that I just read, some of the things that happened there, is child's play with, with what God is about to do in this church and in this region. If we get it. And if we begin to operate as a unified body, he's looking for a body, a bride who's united as one, operating in what they're supposed to be doing here, not going off their own way and doing their own things, a whoring in the world. And excuse me for saying that, but that's what it is. It's time for the body of Christ to become one. And as we become one in him and know and understand who we are in Christ, the whole body gets healed. Come on, the whole body is now operating in power instead of weakness. The whole body is not dying early, but actually walking in divine health. These things are who we are and what we're created for. You know, there's all these superhero movies that are out there, but I'm going to tell you what, the greatest superhero on the earth right now is the church, operating as one. And when the church begins to do that, supernatural things will take place, and the world will be drawn to it. We want the world to be drawn to what's happening in Cornerstone, continue to work in the miracles, signs, and wonders that are happening, but be a united body operating in what God has put in each of us. Because after all, isn't your body not your own? When you were baptized, didn't you say that I am dead to myself? I'm now alive in you, Christ. I've now become part of the body. He's the head, and we are an entire body. He's gifted every one of you individually so that you would as an individual, become part of a bigger thing than yourself called the body of Christ, the church. The church is not irrelevant. The church is what God uses to bring the salvation in these last days and to bring the gospel to the nations. And it's the thing that disciples the nations in these days. That's what a church is. We've lost, not us, but many have lost track of what a church is. And because of that, They're weak, they're sickly, and they're dying early. How many want to get how many want to get into what God has for you and actually see it take place? Is there anybody here that does not want that? So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna have the ushers come forward.
And we're going to receive communion. But we need to discern the Lord's body when we receive communion. And I'm going to read this section of scripture. Then I'm going to ask, after I do that, for you all to come up and, re and receive the Lord's uh, the communion. So I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I, for I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same manner he took the cup after supper saying, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim what happened on the cross. Come on. And actually we become part of it. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. We have been given an opportunity through the doctrine that I just showed you of the church and the things that we have here that we are discerning the Lord's body. Here's the opposite thing that happens when you discern the Lord's body. Come on. If it's weakness that comes when you don't discern it, what comes if you do? The power from, the, from God himself. You're not weak anymore. You've got the power of him residing in you. You're not sickly anymore. You're full of vitality, ready to do the job that he gave you. You're not dying early. Come on, you're invincible until he takes you home. This is where you want to be, amen? But we have to lay down our own individual selves and take what he has given us and make it part of the body and operate as one unit. Except the corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it doesn't multiply. Until we die to ourselves and allow us to become something bigger than ourselves, where's the multiplication and the selfishness? We are part of something big and huge that God and, and he's so good to us. Why would he do this? Because he loves us. And he wants us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. But we have to get this and know this and understand this if we're going to really go to the next level. So in verse 30, it says, For this reason many are weak and sickly among you, many sleep. I say it's time to get knitted into who you are and walk into who you are. You are part of a superhero system church that has got the answers to all the world's problem problems that will lift up the head, Jesus Christ. He's coming back for a bride that's alive and fully cleansed in him. Come on, he's not coming back for a paraplegic bride who only part of her is working, who's, oh, I, I was so weak and I was just hanging on until Jesus comes, and oh, I'm so sickly, and oh, um, many of my parts are dying early. What if many of your parts were dying early? What if your foot was dying early? What if your hand was dying early? What if your eye was dying early? What would happen to you? How would you operate 
if your parts said, I'm not coming today to be part of the body. I don't want to be knitted in. Well, there's enough people doing that stuff already. I don't have to be bought. You don't have to have my money. You've got enough of your own. I want to use my money for myself. I want to go here. I want to go there. I'm going to do my own thing. Oh, I'm going to start my own church because, after all, I like this type of thing. You're part of something bigger than yourself, and we need to understand and know it's time. It's time. So I'm just going to ask for um, Amy to come on up. Come on up right now, and we're going to close. And the altar call is just going to be repentance. If you haven't been operating as part of the body, now's the time. If you have been operating as part of the body, ask him for what more can you do as part of that body. Everyone has its part. Everyone has its part. Not one of you is less important than the other part. Just because somebody's up here preaching doesn't make, you, make this person more important than the one sitting back there who maybe have another issue to do in the body. The body as a whole was created by God to operate as one unit. Are you operating? And you're part of the body. So I'm going to have you start coming forward and take some time up at the altar. But before you take of the body and blood of Christ, I'm going to let you take it, get it, um, and hold on to it for a moment. Because you know what I want to do is let's partake of the body and blood together as a unit, as one, as a sign that we are one. So as you get this, stay up here. And then after we all have the body and blood of Christ in our hands, uh, we'll, as a unit or as one, we'll partake. Amen? Come on, God's greatness is all over you. There's greatness on you. You've got something that no one else has and no one else ever will. God's greatness is all over you, and it's meant to be used for part of his body. Amen? Come on, you're part of something greater than yourself, something bigger than yourself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, as we just lay these things before you, we ask that help us to discern who we really are in you. Help us to know and understand the mission and the purpose of a united body of Christ, united in you. Help us to know and understand that I am an important part of that body. I am. And you're needed. And when you're not operating in the way you should, or if you're falling into something that you think is personal sin that's holding you back, it's really affecting the whole body. It's time to repent. It's time to lay things down. It's time to, time to lay selfishness at the foot of the cross. And to become who you really were created to be. Come on, this is a pivotal moment for many of us. If God's going to take us to the next level, we've got to be operating as one. It's never meant to be that a few get burnt out because they're doing everything. And someone said to me Thursday, I'm going to mention it now, Amy. <laughs> she says, why do we need these gifting things? I just do whatever, wherever there's a need, I just go to it. That's because that eye, I'm saying she's an eye, if the foot isn't going to be doing what they're doing, that eye is going to volunteer and somehow try to be the foot. That eye is going to try to fill in wherever needed because they know 
that the body's important. That's why she was saying, it doesn't matter what my gift is. I'm going to go wherever I'm needed. That's someone who's basically laid down their life and says, I'm going to make sure the body operates properly no matter what. But she was never meant to be a foot. <laughs> but she'll operate as a foot because she knows the body's important. We need the foot operating as the foot. And we need the hand operating as the hand. Let's take of the body of Christ. Father, we just lift this up and know and understand that your word is true. That you've given us a doctrine of the church. Teachings of the church. Help us to rally around who we really are. The body of Christ. And as we partake of this body, help us to know and understand that we just repent of anything that has kept us separated from the oneness that you wanted us to be as a body. Forgive us, Lord. We lay down ourselves to be one in you, just as he, Jesus broke his body for you. We lay our bodies down for you to be used for your glory and honor as part of the body of Christ. And as this body grows up into the proper size of the head, Jesus Christ, and operates in the fullness that it was created to be, this world is going to see things greater than the book of Acts. This world will see this last day's revival come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Let us partake of the bread, the body. Your blood, it's a covenant. Your blood flows through the body, brings healing to the entire body. The covenant of your blood sends demons screaming. Come on. They know the covenant. They know what the blood means. This blood that was shed for us now becomes part of the covenant between you and us, God. Makes us part of the body. This rich blood of Jesus Christ now flows through his entire body. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the communion of oneness in the blood. Let's partake of the blood of Christ. Let's just take some time now to just talk to God. Ask Him what's next in your life. If there's anyone who needs prayer, there's a prayer team that's up here. But I just want us to just worship. Don't leave until we finish this last worship song. But spend some time in the presence of God.